It also, um, there is in these verses the richness of, from the promises that we as children learn to memorize from number one, verse one, there is no condemnation, to verse 28, all things work together for good, and to those that are saved and serving, and then we all are more than conquerors um, through through Christ in verse 37, and then he closes out with we shall not be separated from the love of God in verse 39, which is all what they've sang this morning, that God is not mad at you, he misses you, and he loves you. And before I read um, Romans chapter 8, and we talk about this relational Christianity, I want to read you two verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, as they put them up this morning. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. I'm putting together the Holy Spirit and the Lord are one. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed unto the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So you've got to understand that the Holy Spirit that came to live in you is the major portion of relational Christianity. These verses are very contextual to, to Romans chapter 8 as the Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 times um, and the declaration of no condemnation and life of freedom, liberty, security is all hinged on the Holy Spirit and His works not only in us, but through us. And I think so many people miss that in their Christian life and in their Christian walk. Roman 8, uh, 8 brings us to the conclusion of sanctification in these chapters. Uh, it also presents clarification of three great subjects. Sanctification, security, and no separation from God. First, we see no condemnation. And as we enter this chapter with no condemnation, let's read it for ourselves. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What's he talking about? Relational Christianity. But walk according to the Spirit. The basis for this wonderful assurance of no condemnation is the words that those who are in Christ Jesus, if you're saved, you're in Christ, and He lives within you, and in Christ there is no condemnation. Make no mistake, this verse does not say there is no mistakes. It does not say there is no failures by the Christian in this lifetime. 
It does not say or even, there's no indication that there's no sin in the Christian walk. It's not what it says. Christians fail. And Paul admitted to that in in previous verses in chapter 7. And Christians make mistakes. And Christians sin. And Abraham lied to his wife. David committed adultery. Peter tried to kill a man with his sword. And to be sure, yes, they suffered the consequences because of their sins, but they did not suffer from condemnation. They did not suffer from condemnation. We've entered with no condemnation. And in these verses, he'll close with no separation from God. And in between, you will see that all things work together for good to them that love God and to those that are saved and serving or called according to his person. It doesn't get any better than that, folks. One person appreciates it. Amen. (laughs) It doesn't get any better than that. Amen? So we've got to understand that what we see is that joy and peace is given to the child of God, not just upon death, but in this life. He wants you to understand that you are not condemned. And everything that happens in your life, do not forget that God is still in control. Whether it's sin or you haven't sinned, God will use the things in your life to grow you. He'll use the the failures that you have to teach you lessons. And we as Christians have to come to the conclusion that all things, that's a big, wide, vast amount, all things work together for good. doesn't say all things are good. It says, all things work together for good to them that love God and called according to His purpose, which is simply saved and serving. We can live for God in the presence of sin in in this life. And we can have peace and joy and happiness. We have seen that the new nature in the first seven chapters has no power over sin. We also have seen that the old nature has no good. Paul himself said in chapter 7, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, and I, <laughs> who shall deliver me? What's, what's he say? In other words, who's going to enable me to live the, a life for God? And he concluded, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Too many of us try to live within the Christian walk with our own power and don't have relational Christianity with the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of us and then we become failures and wonder why. Now he is telling us the means by which that can happen and which the victory is secured in these next few verses that we read. It's the work of the Blessed Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We see God the Father in creation in Romans 1. We see God the Son in salvation 
in Romans 3. We see God the Holy Spirit in sanctification beginning in Romans chapter 8. And it's the Holy Spirit of God that enables us and empowers us to live the Christian life. A a life that is pleasing to God must be lived in the power of the Holy Spirit if and, and it's the overview of these first few verses that we read in Romans chapter 8. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in the, in the regenerated, the transformed life of a believer. We are powerless to live for God without the Holy Spirit that lives in and through us. Those who walk after the Spirit is, is what, what we read, according to the Spirit. We do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit of God. And if you don't understand that, I hope you do before you leave this morning. Romans 8, 1, we read, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The Spirit of life simply means the Holy Spirit who brings life. Why? Because He is life. And we as Christians are alive in Christ. All of the no condemnation is because the believer shares a life in Christ. Back to chapter 1 and 2. Righteousness was imputed to us, given to us, simply because Christ the righteous died and God accepted His payment for our sin. And the no condemnation in the believer has made us free from the law of sin and death uh, or in other words, the, the authority of sin that had over our old nature ended the separation from God and the new nature could not break the shackles. Only the coming of a higher power, the Holy Spirit of God, could accomplish that in us. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one that executes this regeneration through our new nature by joining us to the living Christ living inside of us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in and through you on a day-to-day relational basis. The law could not do what the Holy Spirit can do. Romans 8, 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. We can't keep the law. Our flesh were unable to live sinless. That's what he's saying. We break the law of God. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh and the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. How? In us who do not walk according to the flesh, but how? 
according to the Spirit of God. If we're going to have victory in this life, it's going to be through a relationship with the Spirit of God by obedience to the prompting of the still small voice and by educating ourselves as to what the Christian life looks like by spending time in His Word. Here we have the whole crux of the matter. It it was and is impossible for the law to produce righteousness in man. It's just a guidebook as to what unrighteousness looks like and what we should and should not do. Why? Because the fault is in man and that is his sinful nature. We talked about this in the weeks past, but you're not a sinner because you sin. You're a sinner because you were born with a sinful nature that you inherited from Adam. And with that in mind... It is impossible for the law to produce righteousness in us. And man is totally depraved. And and when I say that, that does not mean the man across the street that your neighbor that you don't get along with. That does not mean the man down the street who you see throwing a fit and hollering and screaming and doing things that we know that is contrary to what God's Word, sin, that we think, but... What it simply means is it's not the person sitting beside you that you called your wife, she's depraved, or your husband, they're depraved, or maybe your your children, but it means you are depraved, and I am depraved, and we all are sinners by nature. Man is totally depraved, and but... God imputed righteousness in us at the time of salvation because of the verse that we read, Christ in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin and through the cross provided victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And when we come to that understanding, God did that because He loves us. He's not mad at us. It was God's way of saving us, really, from ourselves and our sinful nature. We are not to, you you know, if, if God imputed righteousness in us and the Holy Spirit is now able to do the impossible in and through us, He can produce a holy life in this weak and sinful flesh of man. And therefore, you and I are to live this new life on this new principle. And that principle is the Holy Spirit that lives in and through you. We are not to try. Contrary to what most people think religion is, we are not to try to lift ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We are not to try to turn over a new leaf. We will never make it that way in our Christian walk. It's an impossibility. We make resolutions, and I'm saying we because I do, and I'm going to do better at this, and all of us have said that at one time or another. I'm going to quit this thing that I know that is sin in my life, and I'm going to stop it. But do we ever do better 
Didn't we turn around at some point and do the same thing again? I know Paul did because we just read it for ourselves. That which I would not do, he said, I do. I do it. I gossip, I lie, I cheat, I steal. Whatever it is, I do it. Even though I would not do it, I still turn around and do it sometimes. What? Of course we do, because we fail miserably at a to-do list. I'm a, and I can say that from someone that is, is a to-do list I've got to-do list sticking on top of to-do list. On top of to-do list. And the way I used to manage my job was a to-do list. Took the things that I didn't get done off of yesterday's list, put it at the top of today's list, start a new list, and then go through and prioritize what's on that list. One, two, three, this has got to be done first, first, first. If not, it caved in on me. You can't manage hundreds and millions of dollars without a to-do list. But I'm telling you, you cannot live the Christian life by a simple to-do list. It's impossible. We didn't, to turn, we didn't turn, and, and, and turn things over. We didn't turn things around in our whole life. God turned things around in you when you put your head in a remorseful position, said, God, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and save me. And the best I know how, I trust in what you did on the work of the cross as finished. Then the Holy Spirit comes to live inside. And when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, the regeneration starts through His power in you. God is now able to do the impossible thing by sending His very Son, His own nature, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and yet without sin, the spotless Lamb of God, who died for us and took our sins to the cross and in turn was buried and rose again the third day, gaining victory over death hell and the grave and sin. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be merciful and the faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make what? Propitiation, what, that's, a, that's a big word. What's that mean? He was made an atonement for the sins of the people. Christ is the provision. It's God's way of getting at the root of sin in our bodies, in our spirits, in our minds. And He could condemn and execute upon sinful flesh on the cross so that it had no more rights in the power of over human beings. And we fail to understand and realize that as Christian people. God dealt with sin itself through Christ. Christ identified with us. He, his sin was condemned in our bodies. And he has, it, it, it ha sin has not been removed. You still got your nature. But these bodies are now redeemed because of Christ and putting our faith and trust in him. 
Raised as a spiritual body is what 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 44 says. Think it, it, it there, there's many, myself included, that think it would be wonderful if Christ would come and take us out of this world of sin. I mean, man, that'd just be great. You know, I wouldn't have to live this way anymore. I wouldn't have to put up with this and... and I wouldn't have to disappoint myself and have guilt and shame. And, and There is no condemnation. Man, take that to heart. Believe in it. But it, it's even a more marvelous thing that He enables you in this life to live the Christian life right here, right where we are today in this old world of sin. And that was Christ's plan. Christ said in his high priestly prayer, go back and think about this, I would not that thou should take them out of this world. You think about that. What? But that thou should keep them from evil. That's John 17, 15. It isn't God's, it wasn't part of the plan to just take us out of the world of sin and, and go to... If that's the case, it would happen instantaneously. But God left us here because we can live a life of victory, because we can live a life that is pleasing to God with peace and happiness in, in this flesh and be a witness to a lost and dying world. That thou should keep them from the evil... Down here is where the victory is won on a daily basis. Is, the victory is the Holy Spirit that produces and furnishes the power. However, there is a huge caveat. The decision is ours. The decision is ours. And you, you, we've got to quit trying and start trusting and develop the relationship. Because until you understand relational Christianity and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will never gain victory over sin in your life on this earth. You can say, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. That's not getting saved, folks. Putting your faith and trust in Christ who gained the victory for you that God imputes righteousness in and on you through the Holy Spirit because He looks to you through the rose-colored glasses, the blood of His Son who died and gained victory for you. Trust Christ is the answer to victory in this life. Then... And then develop a relationship with Christ. When's the last time you blew the dust off and spent time in His Word so that you can develop? How's He speak to you? Primarily through His Word. And if you're not spending time in this Bible and you think that that... that that you know what relational Christianity is and you raised your hand, I can answer the question for you 
as to do you have a relationship that I asked in you in the beginning? The answer is no, because it's impossible. You're not allowing him to speak to you through his word and spend time with him in his word. If you have relational Christianity, things that separate us from God, when's the last time you knelt or bowed your head sitting in your chair or in your car and said, God, I can't remember all my sin, but I want to confess them today so that we're clean. I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for my mean spirit towards someone yesterday. I'm sorry that I lied. I'm sorry that I gossiped. I'm sorry that I did the things that I do. Holy Spirit of God, please help me the next time that I start to do that whenever I attempt to obey your still small voice and just bite my tongue. That's relational Christianity. Confession is part of relational Christianity. When's the last time that you repented? You say, I, don't, I, don't, I, I thought that's what, what you just talked about. Repentance is to change directions. In other words, I'm going down this path and doing these things that I know are sin in my life. I'm going to change direction and not do that anymore. That's part of obedience to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. When's the last time, the last time that you simply obeyed the Spirit of God when He was speaking to you about something you should or should not do? You say, well, the Holy Spirit never speaks to me. You're not saved. No bones about it. I'm not judging you, but the Spirit of God lives in you. And there's two ways that you can know that you're a child of God. Either a changed life or chastening. Because the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And if He is not convicting you, then you're not saved. Because He does come to live inside of you. And it's His goal to help you live the Christian life. That's what he's here for. The comforter shall come. Read it for yourself. Walking in the Spirit is a life of obedience, a life of obeying what the Spirit prompts you to do. And last, it then becomes a matter of trust. God, I've got my faith and trust in you. I trusted Christ as my Savior. Now I'm trusting you because I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to confess my sin. I'm going to spend time with you in prayer. I'm going to have a relationship with you, Christ, through the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to obey. And then I'm going to trust you day by day to make it happen in my life. That's called abiding, spending time with Him having a relationship. And if you think you that's what relational Christianity is and you're not doing it, then you don't have a relationship. You don't 
I went for years, called to preach in 1976, and went for years and did not understand relational Christianity. Didn't understand it. Didn't know what that meant. I knew I had to read my Bible, and bless God, I'm going to read three chapters a day so that I can religiously and legalistically finish my Bible once a year. And that's all good. Because my grandma used to say, the more you pour stuff through a sieve, the cleaner it gets. That's good. However, if it's not in a relational atmosphere of trying to gain relationship and knowledge and understanding to help me live a better life so that when the Holy Spirit prompts me not to do the things or to do the things, then I don't have a relationship. I was doing it legalistically, simply to say, I got this list and I got to get it done. Do you have a relationship? Do you spend time with the Lord? Do you confess your sins as a Christian? Do you turn away from things? that you know calls you to walk contrary to His Word? Do you pray and seek guidance and help and take the Lord at His Word? Do you talk to Him other than in dire straits? Oh God, you got to take care of this today. How about God, I love you and I appreciate that you love me and you're not mad at me. That's relational. That's spending time. That's loving God and Him loving you. If you'll do those things, you just watch what happens in your life. You'll see a transformation because you'll come to realize there is no condemnation. I've got a loving Savior that's my best friend. I've said it before and I'll say it again and close. My grandma used to walk around the house and say, He walks with me, He talks with me. He tells me I am his own. She'd just sing that and sing it all. She'd sing that same song. I, 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 I remember one on occasion saying, Mama, why do you sing the same song over and over and over and over and over again? You want to know what her answer was? And I didn't understand. Because he walks with me, he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. She had a relationship that I don't think very many Christians ever had. I think they live a legalistic life of I've got to do this, 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 and this. I've got to do this, this, and this, and this. I've got to go to church. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to do all this with the ideology that that's how I stay saved and how I please God. I hope through the next few weeks in Romans 8, you learn what relational Christianity is. Let's start.